We're continuing in our, in our uh, trek through the Gospel of John together. And we find ourselves in John chapter 6, which is one of the, really, the rich chapters of this rich book. You recall that in our time together that recently we saw the passage where our Lord, there was the, what's called the feeding of the 5,000. And that's really a kind of a misnomer because um, it was 5,000 men and, we're told, and women and children as well. So, I don't know, 15,000, 20,000? And that, that caused quite a stir because they, it was an obvious, clear miracle. And so when Jesus and his disciples then left and crossed the sea, remember, that was kind of interesting. The disciples went by boat. Jesus walked out into the midst of a stormy night and, and joined them in the boat, and they were instantly on land. And there, when they came to land, there were those that came around, and, and Jesus was talking. And especially the people were, were hungering after him. That was a great miracle. Abundant food. Food to fill everyone there and left over. And so they, they want that. And they're ready to make him king as long as he keeps the free food coming. And so Jesus talks about the fact that there's more to life than food. And he speaks about himself as the bread of life. Well, we pick up at that point as, as we come to John chapter 6, verses 41 to 51. And you may want to follow along in your Bible as I read John chapter 6, starting at verse 41 through 51. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, that, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The scene before seems to be a change, a change in, in um, what scenery and who he's talking to. Just to jump ahead a little bit, if we were to look over to chapter 6, verse 59, we read, These things he, Jesus, said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And so um, we see that as the chapter closes, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. That's my intention tonight to uh, show a slide or two that will show pictures. It's amazing to me. You, the, you can still see the remains of the structure of that synagogue. And that's one of those things where you say, right there, right there is where this section of, uh, of John chapter 6 took place. And so it's, if you want to be really thorough... 
uh, you, could, you could kind of walk through every square foot and say somewhere here was where that happened. But, but there he was, in the, we're told, as he finishes, as at that point, in verse 59, he was in the synagogue saying these things. Now, remember, he fed the crowd, then he crossed the sea, but then we're told what happened when he landed in, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 34 to 36, makes it a little clearer. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out all that into, out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged that he might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it made were perfectly well. So what he's saying is, when they first landed, there was a scene of a crowd right there by the shore. And, and that's where he begins talking. And so somewhere and somehow between that section and here in verse 41, it seems like there's a shift. In other words, they, 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 they moved over to the synagogue. It must have been a Sabbath, I guess. And or Sabbath coming, and so they moved over there and continued the discussion. So the beginning part, he's talking to the broader crowd out in the field with all the ones who have come to him for healing. And again, at this point in Jesus' ministry, when he arrived on the scene, once people knew it was Jesus, everyone, anyone who had any illness, they ran to get them and say, this is your chance for health. And it's been said that where, wherever he went, illness was banished. And so that and all and some teaching happened there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But then they moved over to, to right up uh, uh, to the Capernaum and went into the synagogue. What, we, um, what we're told is, and what, what happened is they were complaining against him, is how this reads. They complained about him. Literally, it's they were murmuring concerning him. And you'll see that word shows up a little bit later in my translation. Um, it, murmur is one of those fascinating words, and it's an onomatopoeia, and you were thinking that as I mentioned it. Uh, that's a fancy way of saying it's, it's a word that sounds like it's action. And so the word murmur sounds like murmuring, doesn't it? And, and, and it, it's, it's a great word when a crowd gets together, you know, murmur, 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 or, or, or whatever it might be. Matter of fact, uh, I like, let, let's do a little experiment and everybody just say murmur a little bit. Murmur, murmur, murmur. You, you, kind of, you get the kind of a, there's this kind of this rumbling noise out there. In the Greek, it's, it's, an, it's also a picturesque word. Ganguzmon, ganguzmon, ganguzmon. You, you, but you, know, you get the idea, it's kind of it's under the breath, talking to each other. Um, I don't know if maybe some of you have been in a teaching situation or when you have to speak to a group, maybe a, a meeting at work or something. And, and as you're talking, um, you get this distinct set. You know, there's, there's this kind of this murmuring, this grumbling, this talking going on. And it's, it can be a little disconcerting. We're obviously they're talking about not listening to uh, you. So as Jesus is there in the synagogue, that's what we're told is going on. The Jews then were murmuring concerning him, or in my text, complained, but murmuring because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. See, they're wrestling. What does he mean? He's the bread who came down from heaven. What does he mean by that? And, 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 and it's not, that's not the, the questioning of a, of a disciple. Oh, what is Jesus telling us? They're not figuring it out. It's more of a critical 
What's wrong with him saying he came down from heaven? And we see that in the next verse. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Come from heaven? Was he claiming to be some kind of a, you know, came by UFO or something? We know his family. What does he mean? He came from heaven. We know who Joseph is. Maybe some of them might have said, yeah, he's the carpenter. He worked on in some of the things in my house. We know his mother. We know his family. How's he saying he came from heaven? What is that all about? So they're emphasizing they know him and, 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 and he's familiar to them. Uh, this is again in Capernaum. It's not that far at all from Nazareth up in the hills, um, kind of to, just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. So it's not far. And, and maybe they worshiped uh, at times in the synagogue in, in Capernaum. Maybe they'd work in Capernaum. That was kind of like the big city there. It was, and maybe they did purchasing. That's where they would go and buy their fish. But they knew the family. They, and, and they say, what does he mean he came from heaven? But again, it's, this is not the questioning of a disciple. Because so, when we come to the scriptures, we ask lots of questions. What does this mean? How do I understand that? But that's, that's the questioning of submission. Lord, I want to understand what you're saying. This is the questioning of dispute. Well, he goes on in verses uh, 43 to 45. And he begins by saying, um, he answered them. In other words, he knows what they're, he, he hears their murmuring. He knows what they're saying. And he responds to it. Do not murmur among yourselves. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a critical murmuring. He goes in verse 44 to say, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, he recognizes that's the murmur of unbelief. That's the murmur of rebellion and defiance. Who does he think he is? And now he makes this statement. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Why does he all of a sudden say that? Why doesn't he explain his thoughts on the bread of life? He's explaining why they're murmuring. Rather than trusting. And again he says, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Um, I found, and I'm going to read some quotes today from uh, J.C. Ryle. I found to be expressed this well. Again, he was a uh, believing uh, Bible preaching Anglican in the late 1800s, friend of uh, Spurgeon, and uh, his his uh, works on the expository thoughts on the Gospels, about four volumes long, very helpful. And John especially. Here's what here's what he says. Jesus is saying, you are murmuring among yourselves because I speak of coming down from heaven and you are making my apparently low origin an excuse for not believing on me. We know his family, common people from Nazareth. But all the time the fault is not in my sayings, but in your lack of grace and your unbelief. 
there's a deeper and more solemn truth to which you seem totally blind, and that is man's need of God's grace in order to believe on me. You are never likely to believe until you acknowledge your own corruption and ask for grace to draw your souls to me. So what's he doing? He hears their murmuring, murmuring of unbelief, and he's saying, you know what the problem is? No one can believe in me unless God the Father draws him. And he's trying to awaken them to their need of God's grace. But he's saying, you're in unbelief and you're showing you're not God's people. Right there in a synagogue when he says the Jews, normally that means Jewish leaders. And so that would probably be the Pharisees. And so as the... uh, the, the leaders of the synagogue are gathering and complaining against him. He said, you know what? You're demonstrating you're not the Lord's people. He's not drawing you to me. So the reason they're complaining is they have a heart problem. He says, you're not struggling to understand. You're unwilling to believe. They have no desire to truly know God's word. They don't believe because they won't believe. And that lack of belief shows that God hasn't worked in their heart to draw them to himself. Again, you'll excuse me. um, I'm going to quote Mr. I I guess I could even say Bishop Ryle. He was a bishop. Uh, I'm going to quote him again. Forever let us remember that the will of man is the part of him which is in fault. His inability is not physical. Not that his, it's not his mental capacity. It's the will. His, it's not a physical problem. It's a moral problem. It would not be true to say that a man has a real wish and desire to come to Christ, but no power to come. It would be far more true to say that a man has no power to come because he has no desire or wish The corrupt will, the secret disinclination, the lack of heart are the real causes of unbelief. The power that we lack is a new will. It's precisely at this point that we need the drawing of the Father. And so he's he's saying the problem is a moral problem. It's a a rebellion problem. It's it's an, an unwillingness to believe. And the only way to overcome that is the drawing of the Father. And so he's not saying, um, if you want to come to me, you can't unless I, won't, unless I let you. He's saying, you don't want to come. And you won't want to come to me until the Father draws you, works in your heart. Then notice what else he says about the drawing of God in, in chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. And so what he's saying is, man will not believe in Christ unless God the Father works in their heart to draw them to himself. Now, for some of you, you're saying, well, yeah, tell us something new. For some of you are saying, wait a minute, this is making me uncomfortable Are you suggesting that God is sovereign in salvation? And I would say, no, I'm not. But Jesus is saying that. 
But that's what I want to say here. This is Jesus talking. If you have a red letter Bible, it's all red here. This is Jesus explaining why people continue in unbelief. Because God hasn't worked in their heart to draw them to himself. It's a work of God. Man will not believe. Man will not believe. He's unwilling to believe unless God draws him. And notice what he says. And all who are drawn are raised by Christ, will be raised by Christ on the last day. See that verse 44 again. No one can come to me unless the Father sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's another important thing he's saying. He says here that everyone who is drawn comes to Christ. And everyone who is drawn will be raised in the resurrection of the life. So in other words, these are the ones who are going to heaven. Whom God draws believes. And who believes will participate in the resurrection of life and go to heaven. Now, I will confess to you, this is, this is a, a doctrine that can, for some, seem strange, strong, hard to believe. Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. I, 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 I thought it's all up to me. And Jesus is explaining to these religious people, religious leaders, some of them would even maybe have had a reverend, a rabbi attached to their name, and say, you're not believing in Jesus And that shows you're not of God. Because God will, if you're of God, then he's going to draw you to believe. And those who are drawn to believe, he will draw out of the grave in the resurrection of life. And so what that tells me is the one God draws. So it's not like he's drawing and someone says, well, no, I'm not going to come. Everyone who is drawn believes. Everyone who is drawn will, will, is, is going to heaven. So this isn't some broad drawing and some choose to say yes and some no. This is a drawing that's effectual. It actually accomplishes the drawing. Everyone who's drawn believes. Everyone who believes is raised in the resurrection of life, goes to heaven. This reminds me of a passage in Romans chapter 8. Sometimes we call it the the, the golden chain of salvation. Uh, Romans eight twenty nine to 31. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now do you notice in that list... The ones he predestined, he called. That calling would be like the drawing. Whom he called, these he justified. Whom he justified, glorified. It's the same group all the way through. In other words, no one, it's not like this um, slowly diminishing few left over. Everyone predestined ends up glorified. Not one is lost in the process. And so that shows it's an effectual work of God. It's, it's a work that gets accomplished. So, for example, by way of contrast, if you uh, 
brought me a, a, a pile of lumber and said, I'd like you to make some dog houses out of this. There's lumber here for enough for 20 dog houses. You'd come back in a couple of weeks and there would be one dog house that you wouldn't want to put your dog in. And you might say, what happened? <laughs> well, the, not all the lumber made it. <laughs> you know, I kept cutting and, you know, it's, you know that old thing about uh, cut once, measure twice. Uh, I made a disaster of it. Sorry, I didn't get him. I, that's, all, that's all I could do. It's, that's not what God is doing. Whom he predestines, whom he chooses, whom he elects, are the ones that he draws. Whom he draws are the ones who believe. Those who believe are the ones who are glorified. Those are the glorified, you know, those are the ones that are resurrected to life in heaven. Not one is lost in the process. Again, this is a challenging thought in some ways um, to think about. And, and, and I thought it might be a good idea if you, uh, that could be, we could explore this maybe and answer some questions and discuss it tonight in our uh, time tonight. But here God is, Jesus, Jesus is saying, it's all of the Lord. And unbelief is showing a, the lack of God's work in the heart to bring to faith. That word draw is an interesting word. It's used uh, in various ways uh, in the New Testament. For example, it's used when they drew, when they drew in the net of fish. Or when, they, when Peter draw, drew a, uh, his sword out of, the, uh, out of a scabbard. It's used in a variety of ways, but this is something if you walk through dozen, 19, 20 uses of the New Testament, everything, you don't see anything drawn that doesn't reach its destination. You don't see them drawing the fish out and it doesn't make it. You don't see them drawing the sword out of the scabbard and it won't come out. So in other words, the word has the idea of pulling, pulling if you will, against resistance like the weight of the fish or the, the, the tightness of the scabbard holding the sword. But that, that, that resistance is always overcome by the power of the drawing. So again, that fits with the concept here. Whom God draws, believes. And so the unbelief can be explained by a, a lack of the drawing of God. And so what Jesus is saying is, I hear your murmuring, I hear your complaining, I hear your criticism. And the, and the very fact that you're murmuring against the teaching of Christ shows that, that God has not worked a saving work in your heart. Now, that, that tells us some things that, that, in other words, it's not an issue of, of understanding. Jesus doesn't say, well, let me step back and see if I can't explain it in a way that's, that works better for you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with explaining, especially things like this, this are challenging to understand. But, but he, what he's saying is the issue here is not your mind. It's your heart. It's your will. You are unwilling to believe. And the only way to overcome that unwillingness is the work of God. That's a reminder to us um, when we share Christ with someone. It's not our brilliant uh, intellect. It's not our perfectly uh, designed uh, presentation. It's God who has to move in the heart. 
And if we look at our own lives, the funny thing is, we don't necessarily recognize, oh, God's drawing me to believe in Jesus. But all, but, but all of a sudden we understand who Jesus is and that we're going to trust him as Savior. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, then what you have to say is, God moved in my heart. I, I'm no better than this unbeliever over here. But God moved in my heart and drew me to himself. It's a work of his grace to God be the glory. And so Jesus is explaining to them, why is it you're murmuring? It's just showing you, you don't know the God you claim to honor. Because if you knew the God you claim to honor, you would believe in the one he has sent to you. God's grace has not worked in your life. He shows, too, that's a biblical concept. What are you saying? Well, verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That quote seems to be like he's quoting Isaiah uh, 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. That's speaking about the, uh, the kingdom, when God will, 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 will work a heart, uh, in the heart of Israel and, and, and bring the nation to faith. But it's described as a work of God in the heart. It could be also he's reflecting the idea in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. Well, I'll start at verse 33. God promised through Jeremiah, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord, for they all shall know me. So what he's saying in the, in the, in the kingdom God's going to do a saving work in the people of Israel. Paul says it uh, in Romans 11. All Israel will be saved. He goes on to say not all Israel is Israel, but no, it's all of the chosen of Israel. God's going to write on their heart his truth. How is it that, that I came to faith in Christ? God did, a, God did a work in my life. He drew me to himself. Um, I always think about when we sing And Can It Be, when long my, my spirit was imprisoned in darkness, and thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon filled with light. That's Wesley's testimony of how he came to faith. God spoke light into his darkness, just like he spoke light into creation. It was a, it was a gracious, sovereign work of God. And I remember as I'd been for months trying to figure out this, you know, does God exist? And I check, check, he does. Is, is Christ uh, his son? Check, he is. Um, but I still realized I had something still wasn't, was missing in the puzzle. And then what happened is I was wrestling and reading some gospel literature I'd read before. His eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the light, or or as we might say today, someone switched the light. And that's a work of God's Holy Spirit in our life. When he gives us understanding, believing understanding, trusting understanding of the gospel. And so he says, and that's, that's what God says all along. 
Back in Isaiah and Jeremiah, this is how God works. He teaches our heart to know him. It's a work of God's grace in our heart. Christianity is not a philosophical system. It's not a a moral system. It's not an ethical system. It's having a transformed heart, a heart that's been made new, and, and through that, a relationship with the living God. Well, he goes on to explain some things that are just remarkable to me in, in verses 46 to 51. Again and again, you'll hear the Bible critics say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Look at what he says in verses 46 to 51 with me. I'm just going to read that and then do verse by verse. But I want to read those verses again. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So remember he said, you know, Isaiah said, the scriptures said, that God will teach the heart of his children. How does that happen? Do you see God? And so he says, no. Not, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He said, I've seen him, but you haven't. I'm not saying you have to see God. That's not what it means to be taught by him, to be drawn by him, but rather you listen to the one who comes from him. There is one in this room. He might see if he'd, he could have said it this way in the synagogue as he looked around. There's one in this room who has seen the Father, and it's not you. <laughs> I have. And, and you can just imagine these very devout, religious, spiritual people are, are, are maybe boiling at this. Who does he think he is? But he says, I've seen the Father because I've been with him. Remember, John wanted us to not miss this point, And so he began the Gospel of John. John said, I want you to understand something as you start this adventure. Jesus is God. He shows that in John 1.1. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he starts off just like Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Son of God. He was with God. What did Jesus say? I've seen the Father. And he was God. And so here we see Jesus saying, I've seen the Father. I've been with the Father. Because I am God from heaven as well. Jesus here is teaching his incarnation. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now I can stand before you today and say, I will bring you the message of everlasting life. I am doing that right now. But that message of everlasting life, you need to believe the message I'm saying, but you don't need to believe in me. Do you see the difference? I'm a messenger. Your belief is in what I'm teaching from God's word. It's not, a, you're not believing me. But what did Jesus say? 
I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Moses never said that. Abraham never said that. Isaiah never said that. But Jesus has the boldness to say, you must believe in me to have everlasting life. There, and, and later on, chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He makes it very clear, very singular, and if you will, very exclusionary. There's only one way to know God. That's through belief in Jesus Christ, his son. But notice how bold he is to say that of himself. And now I'm going to quote another, if you don't mind. You may have heard of uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, he said this, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't claim, accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he has a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So you can't say Jesus was a, a, a very, he was a Jewish rabbi. That was good. Uh, many, he taught such great things about moral principles. All true. But if you deny that he's God, then you have a problem with him. Because he claimed to be God. And so as Josh McDowell summarized it in this way, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he is the Lord. And as C.S. Lewis says, he didn't leave you any other option. He's not a good man with a good message. That's not available to you. By the way, I quoted C.S. Lewis. I used to quote Josh McDowell and then C.S. Lewis. But actually C.S. Lewis may have gotten this from a man they called uh, uh, Rabbi Duncan. He was a great Hebrew scholar, John Duncan. He said this, Christ either, this was in 1860, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud or he was himself deluded and self-deceived or he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. It is inexorable. Those are your options. And so I might ask you today, is that clear in your mind? Which one are you going with? Was Jesus on the level of a man who claims to be a poached egg? That's great. I love that language. Was he a lunatic? Was he, was he not thinking truly and clearly? Was he a liar and a deceiver? Or is he Lord? Your only options. And if he's Lord, then what is your response to him? Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Any other response would be the worst possible decision. Well, he goes on in verses 48 to 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread 
which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So he said before, and he's saying again, I am the bread of life. What does he mean by that? He contrasts it. Remember, they thought, they came to him and said, well, we'd love to to multiply the, the fish and the loaves. Remember the manna? That's what we want from you. Keep the food coming. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And and Jesus is explaining what he means by that. He's not talking. He's not saying he's a loaf of bread. And he's not saying that, you know, we're we're to eat him in that sense. He's using that as language in 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 that part of the world, that time frame. Food, you could call food of any sort. You could call it bread. Let's break bread. And that doesn't mean you were limited to bread, but you're going to have meal. But bread was was the main part of the food. And so Jesus said, I am the food of life. I'm the bread of life. You don't want manna because, well, he explains. I came down from heaven. Those who eat of it will not die. The, the, the fathers ate the bread, and what happened? They ate it for 40 years, and they still died. So that manna was good. It kept them alive in the wilderness. But eventually, what happened to everyone who ate manna? They all died. This reminds me of a time I had with a physician one time. He was, you know, when they're, you know, you're kind of visit, you finished with your visit, and he's got a pad of paper, and he's writing out a prescription. And I like to ask some time or so, tell me about the side effects of this medication. And he didn't even look up. He said, everyone who takes it dies. I said, what? <laughs> he said, everyone who takes it dies. And he kept writing. Because it's true. Everyone who will ever take that prescription eventually dies, right? Uh, but he got my attention. <laughs> um, Jesus, what happened to everybody? Everybody who ate the manna, what happened? They died. But I'm the bread of life. You, you could almost say manna was the bread of death because eventually you're going to die. But Jesus said, he who eats of me won't die. Again, he's using language that, that's forcing them to think. He's saying he's bread, but he's not bread. He was saying before, I'm going to give you water, but not water. You need to be born, but not born. I'm bread, but I'm not bread. But that's a picture of the fact I give the very substance of true life, spiritual life. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. Man is good. Yes, I can multiply food for 5,000. Great. But I, eat of me, and you'll never die. Again, notice, I would never say that of myself, would I? But Jesus did and could. And so, what he goes on to say, he says, The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I will give for the light of the world. Notice how he says that. In the past, he was using past tenses, or in verse 50, the bread, uh, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. But now, he says, I will, I shall, the bread that I shall give is my flesh. He's already come down. Now again, he's speaking here of his incarnation. God became man. That's what he, what he means. He came down from heaven. Yes, his human nature 
uh, born of Mary, raised by Joseph and Mary. But his divine nature came down from heaven and has no beginning. But now he says, I shall give my flesh. I shall give for the life of the world. There he's speaking of the cross. You see, the whole point of the incarnation was not the delight of a perfect baby child. It wasn't the, the benefit of a teacher who, who could give understanding of great moral and spiritual truth. It wasn't one to, to drive out illness by arriving in a town. As much as all of that was good, Jesus became, came from heaven and became a man with the primary intention of taking that human body and giving it to die on the cross for our sin. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, in the next passage, he will go on to talk about how does that relate to bread and, and the eating of it. But what he's saying is, I became man. I came from heaven, God in the flesh, so that I could die, that you might live. As we think about these verses, it's amazing to me how clear and strong he is in his laying out his message. Again, the, the, the liberal, the critic that will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Have you read the Gospel of John? From verse 1, John says, don't miss this. He's God. And here he's saying, I came down from heaven. No one else. He's not saying this is, we all come from heaven. No, no, no. I am the only one who has come down from heaven. I and my father are one. I, I love what he will say to the Jewish leaders in chapter 8. We'll get there some year. Before Abraham was, I am. And here he's saying, the only way to eternal life, the only way to the resurrection of life, is through me. I am the bread of life. I am the very substance of eternal life. He's from heaven. And he speaks of his deity and his incarnation with absolute clarity. And there's this truth here. Only God's gracious drawing can bring a fallen man to saving faith. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Give God the glory. Paul says the same thing, doesn't he, in Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. How can I explain that I trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior? He drew me to himself. Well, does he draw every man in that way? No, the ones he draws believes, and whom he draws will be raised in the resurrection. He's talking about a saving drawing, an effective draw, an effectual drawing. How, how is it I came to really understand the gospel? It's God who teaches. 
my heart to believe. I, I, I remember talking to a friend one time who, who, who was in the dorms doing evangelism, just knocking on doors, talking to people, sharing Christ. He went and visited with a fellow and, and just uh, shared the gospel with him. And, and he said it was the, the, the most sloppy, poorly organized, ill-thought-out gospel presentation he could ever imagine that he himself gave. And the guy thoroughly trusted in Christ as Savior. And so my friend was humbled and said, well, it's not me. God, what Jesus might say, drew him. Or Jesus might say, taught his heart. Now that doesn't mean we're we're thoughtless in how we present the gospel. But we need to recognize it is a work of God in the heart. And if you've ever had the privilege of, of being involved in leading someone to Christ, you were there for a miracle. You may not have seen it, but the hand of God drew that heart. The hand of God wrote on that heart. And you had the privilege of uh, serving the bread of life. Christ came down from the Father. And so that tells us he brings God's message and grace. This is, he's heaven's messenger. He keeps referring to the bread of life and compares it to the bread of man. The things of this world cannot save and are passing away. There's a warning here, isn't it? See, we, all, we often get all caught up in chasing after bread. We don't call it bread anymore. We have more exciting things. Uh, we want st- steak and gravy. We want bling. We want stuff. You know, remember the old thing about, you know, whoever gets the most toys and at the end of life has the most toys, he wins. And the bumper sticker that kind of came back and answered that, whoever gets the most toys still dies. Those things really, they, they don't give life to you. In fact, they can distract you from the bread of life. And that's why Jesus said, there's bread, you'll eat it, you'll die. If you chase after what the world has to offer, you can get it and die. Or you can receive the gift that God offers and never die. But do you notice, contrary to the critics, all in red letters, Jesus saying it. Jesus is the very center and message of the gospel. Christ and him crucified. Not Christ saying, wow, that's the greatest moral teaching. If I could just be be as moral as he calls me to be, if I could just perfectly love my brother and perfectly love God, that's not the gospel message. You are a sinner who who resists God, and by his grace he draws you to himself, and the only way you can come to him is through a crucified Savior. We must, the bread of life has to give his flesh that we might have life. The center of the gospel is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The door to eternal life is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And let me just urge you. Here we are gathered in a religious place, kind of like a synagogue in Capernaum. Being in this place doesn't mean that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. It can be here and be in unbelief. But don't make the mistake of these who walked out in unbelief. Wait a minute, you said God must do the drawing. Yes. And if you want his drawing, ask him.
Ask God for the grace to believe. What did Jesus say? Anyone who comes to me will not be cast out. And if you have that longing in your heart to trust in him, that is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit riding away on your heart. But the message here is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the gift of eternal life through him. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the amazing grace that so clearly showed us who he is. How I pray, Lord, for each one here, for each one who hears these words. May the message from Jesus Christ himself, from heaven itself, speak to each heart. And may you draw each one to yourself in saving faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.